0: Hey guys, uh, welcome to the show. In fact, the very first inaugural episode of the Trojan Venture Podcast. It is an exciting day in sunny Southern Southern California, may I add. Uh, My name is Eric, alongside my good friend Vivek, and we are so excited to get this podcast rolling. How are we doing, Vivek?
1: Pretty good, pretty good. Uh, Of course, loving it out here in Southern California. Um, What's up guys, my name is Vivek, currently a freshman at USC, Um, part of this club called Troy Labs. It's a venture capitalist startup accelerator type club and yeah, we're really excited to talk about some startups, some fun stuff, we'll see where we can go. Um, But yeah, a little bit about myself, Uh, I got into entrepreneurship in high school actually, when I joined this club called Business Professionals of America. And my junior year, I was actually elected the state president. And through that, I was able to meet a bunch of startup founders who really propelled my interest in startups. And uh, now we're here. We'll see what happens now.
0: And as almost every person in America, I feel like everybody wants to start a podcast now. It's yeah. like it's like the new, like, I want to be a rock star. It's like, oh, let's start a podcast with a friend. Um, exactly. And that sure. worked out perfect. Um, my interest just... To give you a little background for myself for the viewers we have tuning in right now. Um, I'm a sophomore at USC, um, and my interest in kind of venture and entrepreneurship didn't really start until I got here. Um, in high school, I was much more into like media and communications and broadcasting, and that kind of like fell to the wayside once I got to college. Um, but then once my interest peaked in everything we're going to be talking about today. Um, The two mediums kind of said, well, this is a great matching. Um, uh, Let's start a podcast about stuff we really love to talk about. Uh, So I think it worked out, and um, we're excited to get this series rolling. Um, So today's episode is going to be about uh, med tech and telehealth. Um, We're going to talk a little bit about what that means first and our kind of personal insights about that. And then we actually have a great special guest that we're gonna be bringing in, um, in just a couple of minutes um, to talk all about how the startup world works in the US healthcare system and telehealth during COVID um, and after the pandemic. Uh, so, yeah, so Vivek, what, what do we know about med tech and telehealth? Yeah.
1: So, I mean, it really skyrocketed when COVID started, actually, um, just because people weren't really able to like go in person or they didn't want to go in person for safety reasons. And so like, you know, seeing a doctor over a screen for a minor problem might be better than going in person and risking COVID. Um, And so yeah, there's been a huge increase in telehealth because of that. Um, There were 9.2 million cases of COVID. and so ridiculous? 9.2 million cases? Yeah, no, like when I first started, I was like there's no way this even goes anywhere, but now we're here. So, yeah, I mean, we've at least adapted, you know, like there's telehealth now. So, there's actually a way to, you know, get help without risking your health, which I think is really cool.
0: Well, obviously the need is there for a kind of a an easier type of um health care service, especially during COVID. Um, so it's obviously no surprise to see the venture capital community kind of harping on as many opportunities as, as they've seen kind of a rise over the last two years. Um, as we know, obviously, from being in the entrepreneurial community, both at USC and just kind of following the outside world, venture funding for telehealth and med tech in general has exploded, and for good reason, um, we're going we're to. Our special guest is actually um, a uh, a huge contributor at a very uh, promising uh, telehealth startup. So we're really going to get some insight into the industry now and how um, they're working in the venture capital space. So it should be a really exciting episode. Do you want to uh, give a little intro into our our guest?
1: Of course. Yeah. No. So fun fact about our guest today: he's actually my cousin. Uh, Got to keep it in the so, family. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> Um, he is a clinical systems director at Galileo Health, which is a telehealth company. They are a membership-based online doctor app which enables people to get personalized care twenty-four-seven from expert clinicians. So it's pretty cool stuff.
0: And I just wanna, I just wanna give him a little more praise since he's, he's, he's your cousin, so we will look good on you. Um, he did study at Northwestern University. He's got his MBA there, so that's pretty impressive. Um, and before taking his uh, his role at Galileo Health, he was also a strategy consultant at uh, Solve Health Tech and internal medicine resident physician at UCSF Medical Center. So obviously has a wide range of experience in a lot of different areas of the uh, healthcare field. So uh, super excited to bring him in. You want to get him on the phone?
1: Yeah. I'll add him to this call real quick. Uh, all right. three, five, four. Three, two, one. So, uh, Jay, what's up, man? Um, could you, Not too uh, much, man. Us, yeah. Excited to be here. Excited to chat with you guys. Amazing, amazing. Um, so, yeah, could you just tell us a little bit about yourself, a little bit about how you got to Galileo?
2: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so, I've had – my career path has, has been, like, a little bit wandering throughout the years. Um, just starting all the way back, you know, I grew up in Chicago – uh, but a couple hours south of Chicago, in the in the, the cornfields of Illinois, kind of the middle of nowhere. Uh, I went to college at Northwestern in Evanston, right outside of Chicago. Um, and you know, I initially, when I went to college, was cons- pretty heavily considering the doctor path, right? So, like, considering going to medical school um, and and you know, going down that path, thinking that I. I've always loved being around people, and I've loved the science and you know the more kind of more intellectual side of being a physician. but I always had like an itch throughout all of those undergrad years that I really enjoyed building things, and I really enjoyed kind of thinking about impact through the lens of, of not just kind of one- on one interpersonal impact that you get as a, as a physician or in, in you know a, a lot of kind of direct service fields like that. But about the impact you can create, you know, when you build an organization or you build a system or you craft a policy, right? Something on a bit, a bit higher level. so, you know, I took some entrepreneurship classes when I was in college, which are a super fun way to just get your feet wet into this type of thinking. And then I, um, instead of going to med school, I actually deferred my, my acceptance for a year uh, to start a company that was totally non-healthcare related called Perkle. And this was a online tech platform helping nonprofits raise money online. Um, very separate from all of my healthcare interests, but was something I was really excited about. And I really wanted to, to kind of take a stab at creating impact in this way. Went down that path for a while. I actually did an accelerator program called Dream Adventures in New York. So I moved to New York for three months as a part of that, that incubator program. And then, um, you know, we, we were running this company, but for me, at the end of the day, I really decided that the impact that I wanted was still in healthcare and that I was still really interested in being a clinician. So I went to medical school at Northwestern in Chicago, and then I, um, throughout that time, held on to a lot of the same kind of entrepreneurial threads that got me excited when I was an undergrad. Um, And I did an uh, MBA combined with my MD while I was at uh, Northwestern Med School, and I really used that MBA as an opportunity to kind of tour the healthcare industry outside of just being a a provider in the the industry, outside of just being on the front line. Worked in venture capital for a little while, worked at a handful of different startups, explored a lot of different career paths. Um, Then came back to the clinical path, did three years of internal medicine residency at UCSF, mostly heads down clinical work, really like kind of cut your teeth, learn how to be a doctor. Um, and then I since then moved to New York to join Galileo. So, you know, it's, for probably about a decade now, I've been simultaneously kind of nurturing two threads in my career, one being the more direct service clinician, physician aspect of my career, and the other being the kind of higher level impact that I wanted to create. And I've fortunately been able to combine those in a role at Galileo where I am a primary care doctor here in New York in, in our local market where I spend part of my time seeing patients and I spend most of my time uh, helping build this company and you know, helping design what our primary care model looks like, helping determine what our, our business strategy is and, and run, uh, run the operations here in this market. So it's been a little windy, you know. there's some common threads throughout the way, but I think as, as you guys will find as well, um, everyone kind of
0: finds their own their own path at the end of the day. Well, yeah, as, uh, as Vivek and I were kind of talking about uh, a little bit before, uh, COVID has obviously had such a huge impact on not only what Galileo is doing, but kind of the whole telehealth sector. Yeah. Um, and I think that there was kind of this idea that technology would really be the next facilitator of how we treated patients um, in this kind of like new age. Um, but can you at least, at least talk about your experience and how um, Galileo used the lessons of COVID to kind of maybe improve its product um, for more of a post-pandemic world?
2: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so I can uh, first give you a bit of framing as to kind of the different types of things that, that Galileo does. So Galileo has kind of two core offerings or two core business lines. One is a virtual only primary care arm, um, which has been running for three or four years now. And the other is an in-person kind of value-based care delivery arm. Um, we, that side of the business is the side that I work the most on. I do mostly complex care delivery. So thinking about your kind of sicker patients with mo- multiple uh, medical comorbidities who, who really need that, that in-person care. Um, and so, but both both arms of the company lean on the idea of virtual care a lot. Um, you know, I think that there's, there's a couple things that I think the, the pandemic has, had really opened up for us. One is that it, it obviously shifted a ton of care, whether people wanted it or not, into the virtual setting. Um, and, and so a lot of us, Galileo included, had to you know, pretty quickly figure out what that was gonna look like and you know, what are the right ways to deliver care in a virtual setting. And I think that, you know, one of the most interesting kind of conclusions that some of us have been working off of, and Galileo has been building this since even kind of before the pandemic, is this question of what does virtual care look like? And it can look like a couple different things. One is it could look like, you know, video visits, where you have kind of a Zoom visit with your provider, just like we're doing here, you know, once a month or once every couple of months. Um, to talk about your medical issues. And then you don't talk to me, you don't see me in between. Essentially taking, you know, what the visits of the old medicine kind of looked like and putting them into the virtual setting. Or, you know, you could ask these questions of what if you could really kind of open up the four walls of the clinic room? What could you do if you actually encouraged and created the lanes to have ongoing 24 seven communication with your care team, right? What if we were texting back and forth all day long throughout your life. And when you needed something, you could just buzz me and I could just take care of it really quick. Um, You know, most of the workflows of clinical medicine today are not designed to facilitate that interaction, right? Most people, most doctors like me are trained to think of care in terms of visits. And one of the things that Galileo has really opened up and I think a few other virtual care companies have done a really good job of is opening up this idea of kind of asynchronous, 24-7 24-7 connectivity to a provider who is accessible there to help you and is not only, you know, able to manage you and talk to you between your visits, but is encouraging that and excited to do that for you. Um, so I think that's that's one of the main lessons that, that we found here. Um, and two is, you know, I think that we're really realizing that with the right tools, you can do a lot of medicine through virtual care. You know, I, I think for, for a long time, folks had the idea that virtual care was only for, like, the ultra-healthy folks, right? It was really only for people who had maybe one or two problems or no problems and just needed check-ins. And that, you know, you really needed in-person care to man- manage any sort of complexity. And I think what we're finding... And what others are finding is that you can manage a fair amount of clinical complexity through a virtual care platform, as long as you open up the opportunities to collect data in these ways. Right? So you, you know, create partnerships in the community so you can get lab value sent to you, you work closely, you open lines of communication with other providers in the community. That's so much of the work of even complex care is really like asynchronous data exchange between patient provider and other stakeholders in the community that you can do a ton of this virtually. Um, and then of course, the caveat there is that you have to recognize when you really need in-person care. And, and I think that's, that's something that we're all very attuned to because obviously you know, we're, we're, we're especially careful about our sick patients and when they need in-person care then we have to make sure we can provide that to them. Um, but, you know, really opening up the possibilities of, of what you can manage uh, without that, I think, is is a, kind of the second big lesson that, that we took away from the pandemic.
1: Yeah. And like you mentioned that, like the quality of care over a virtual setting is is very doable. Right. But are there any potential drawbacks when it comes to a virtual setting? Um, and like, could you talk a little bit about that?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, it's it's really how you define quality here. And I think that um, just like on the benefit side, right? There is obviously something that's missing about in-person care, right? There's like, a, there's an intimacy there and there's kind of a personal connection and contact that I think a lot of people really like. And when you lose that, when you go to virtual care, what I think you gain is the accessibility and the amount of time you get to actually spend thinking about and talking about your concerns. So, you know, I've heard heard some folks use the phrase, you know, we're trading touch for time. In that, if you saw me in person, you know, you would get maybe 15 minutes with me, 20 on a good day, um, if I'm in a clinic seeing patients back to back. But if we're texting and we're communicating asynchronously, Right. We have all the time in the world to sit and process and share details about about the, you know, each other's thoughts on, on what the, the clinical care should be for a given moment. Um, so I think that's that's one trade off, you know, with the the really complex patients. In a few ways, so when you think about complexity in terms of medical complexity, where the physical exam really starts to inform some of the decision-making on kind of what medications you might prescribe somebody, right? Somebody who is acutely sick. So when somebody says I am short of breath right now and I have chest pain, right? That physical evaluation is so important. Me listening to your lungs, listening to your heart, being able to do things, take your vital signs, take your blood pressure, take your heart rate, right? Your oxygen saturation, those things in those moments will actually change me. Whereas, you know, you and me, and most people who are walking around the world without a symptom or concern, the physical exam is not particularly high yield, right? It can give you some clues, but it's not the most useful thing in those moments. Um, So, you know, high medical complexity, acuity, when patients are acutely sick and have an issue going on, there's a lot to be gained from in-person care. And the third is, you know, high complexity when it comes to psychiatric issues as well. which is, you know, when when patients have severe mental illness and they have a lot of instability already built into their life, there is something I think that can be unique about the in-person presence with that person and being able to build a therapeutic relationship with somebody and create the, the stability in that relationship to build that trust.
0: Um, that's, yeah, that's, um, that's something I kind of, when, when you were talking about that, that's something that almost raised a flag for me that I wanted to ask. um, Yeah, talked about managing the dynamic between time versus touch. Um, And at least from your experience, do you think there's a real learning curve based on patient of almost Galileo saying, we have so many resources online that you should be able to trust us with the amount of sensitive information you're giving us? Because I think as with anything, just logically, people really like the in-person value care. Um, so how would you, how do you assure a Galileo that you're pro- providing that same quality in a virtual setting and basically ensuring that the consumers trust you?
2: Yeah. I mean, this is, the question is, how do you build trust, right, in a patient-provider relationship? What are, what are the tenets of that trust-building exercise? One of the things is what you mentioned, which is kind of bedside manner and rapport. Right, And this is best done in person for sure, where you can build a relationship with somebody and you can make somebody feel like you are invested in them and you care about them. But what are the other things that go into trust building? Right, One of the things that I talk about all the time to build trust with patients is, are you there when I need you? Right. So when a patient has an issue, which is when they're in their kind of more vulnerable moments and they pick up the phone, to dial their primary care doctor, your ability to answer that phone with a human who knows that patient in a reasonable amount of time, like that is a huge pillar in being able to build trust with these patients. So that accessibility, you know, if, I, if you see me in person two times a year and we build that connection in person, but every time you call me, you get put into like some massive phone tree, you're on hold for 30 minutes, you don't get to a doctor or a provider, you know, for another 15 minutes. I think all of that work I do in person gets really quickly eroded. So that's, you know, the, the other thing is just thinking about accessibility and thinking about my presence in some of your more vulnerable moments. And then the third thing is like, are you actually solving my pain points, right? As, uh, if, you're, if you're a patient and you're deciding you want to trust a doctor, it's, do you actually move my care forward? Do you help me? Do you, do you solve my problems? So when I come to you um, with you know, medical problems saying, I'm short of breath and I'm this and I'm that, do you actually work closely with me to be able to solve those? But not only the medical problems is, you know, maybe I have behavioral health issues and I want to be connected to a therapist. Maybe I have kind of some social instability factors where I'm having issues with my housing or with food stamps or with unemployment. Can I come to you in those moments as a comprehensive primary care provider to help solve those issues? So, you know, while I think that in-person presence is important, I actually think that the the presence in vulnerable moments, the ability to solve their problems and solve their pain points, regardless of what they are, and to create those touch points, um, goes a really far way in in building trust. And we're not we're not used to thinking about. You know, relationships with providers in terms of frequent low intensity touch points, which is kind of what I'm saying. Right. Most of the time we think about our relationship with the doctor as infrequent high intensity touch points, which is I see you in clinic infrequently. Um, But I think you'd be surprised how much trust building you can do. By having a ton of touch points with somebody, even if they are low intensity, even if they're texting or a virtual visit, you know, once a week for three weeks in a row, once you open up that realm of possibilities, and that frequency and that type of intimacy, I think you can way outdo the amount of trust you can build in person by only a couple of visits a year.
1: Very cool. Yeah, that's a really good point, actually. Um, so I know like. Galileo, I guess you probably have to have a huge staff when it comes to like taking care of a lot of patients and like being able to communicate with you virtually and all of that. Um, so like, what is the hiring process when it comes to like finding doctors for Galileo that are able to not all, not only be able to be good doctors, but also be able to like have tech, um, like tech fluency and like ability to like find patients to connect with. And Yeah. Yeah. No, it's a great question.
2: I mean, you know, I honestly think that, like, as an organization, like, it's, it's our job to build tools that providers want to use, not, not that they feel forced to use, right? So it's a big part of our ethos to build provider-facing technology that makes their lives easier. And so that's, I think, the first step in attracting, like, provider talent. For, you know, provide, attracting any talent is, you know, what is the experience for that person at the company? And the experience for most doctors out there today is pretty crap, right? But no, most doctors are very unhappy with the EMRs that they use. They don't think their workflows are helpful for them and they are, you know, slammed with visits all day long, especially primary care doctors, right? The burnout rate for the average PCP is relatively high. Um, So the first thing that I, that I, we focus on as a company is, you know, how do we build that provider experience where You can come to Galileo, you can spend real time with your patients, right? You're not seeing them for 15 minutes and being shoved out the door. You're seeing them where it matters to them. You're supported by a team that can actually help you make meaningful impact in your patients' lives, right? So it's not just the doctor, right? Galileo has in-house behavioral health, in-house social services support, uh, as well as some in-house specialty support as well, so that it's not just you alone carrying these really sick patients on your back that you're really su- well supported in that. Um, and I think the second thing is, you know, it's finding doctors that are really excited about doing something different and, and doing, um, you know, really wanting to turn the current model on its head, thinking about if we start from scratch, you know, if you were designed to, to design the primary care practice that could best serve these patients, how would you design it? And, I think there's a lot of physicians out there who are really excited about doing things the right way and feel like they don't have the opportunity to do them the right way in their current practices. So, you know, we we look across all domains when we're hiring people. Another thing that's really important to us is to hire people who come from the communities in which they serve. You know, especially when we're doing complex care delivery, we're working with a lot of vulnerable populations who have spent much of their lives within these communities and we want people to feel a real connection to their providers and their support staff that are that are working with them and so i would say you know those two things are the main things that that we select for and of course i want people who who are just excited to do good clinical medicine work Um, you know people who are excited to take care of uh, patients across the spectrum people who want to help us reverse some of the inequity in the healthcare system right now whether that's you know Urban underserved um, patients, rural healthcare patients. Galileo is kind of across markets in that in that domain, and and we're really excited about serving every single patient that that kind of walks in our door. So those are the the two or three things
0: that I'm really selecting for when we're when we're talking to to clinicians. And I would say building off you, you spoke to kind of vulnerable populations and building trust between physicians and those communities. Um, one of the things, I guess. I can be a hiccup for some people, especially in kind of last mile populations where those are rural or minority populations. It's kind of like the issue of broadband internet problems and reaching because the product can be amazing. You know what I mean? It can have everything you want, but if you can't reach the service, then well, it's null. So how do you guys go about making sure that these vulnerable last mile populations have consistent access um, to your service?
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think this is where you have to have a flexible care model, right? You can't provide the exact same service to every single patient uh, and expect that it's going to fit in their current life circumstance. So, you know, for patients, there's a couple different ways you can go about this.
0: For patients
2: who don't have broadband access, but live in an area where they may have cell phone service, at least. I can send, you know, one of my staff members called health advocates, they are like the kind of relationship manager, they're really the center of the, the Galileo model, out to those patients' homes with, you know, a Wi-Fi hotspot with a bunch of equipment and a laptop. And they can zoom in me or they can help them get access to like the other other specialty care, virtual care appointments, whatever that is. So that's one option there. If, you know, no wired broadband, but they're at least in a place that has good cell phone service, which is not true for large parts of rural America, right? There's, if you guys have ever like done big cross country road trips, you'll drive through huge parts of states where you're like, these are, these are massive dead spots where I don't even have like any 4G or any, uh, any access to internet at all. And those patients, it's about, all right, then how do I create the clinical touch point that allows you, allows me to meet you where you're at? It could be sending people directly into their homes. That might be sending a provider into that person's house. Or what it might be is, you know, one of our rural markets, we have a massive airstream that we can do care out of. It's called our mobile clinic. And we drive that around to different counties in that rural market. And we say, we're gonna be here on this day, come through and use kind of a central meeting point within the community to get people there. The point is that like, for for each of these patient scenarios, Every patient has different barriers to care, right? You might have a patient who has great internet access, but is like almost legally blind, right? So virtual care for that person is obviously totally out the window. So that person is about meeting them in the home. Or you might have, you know, somebody who is very elderly, but, and very, very sick, but actually super tech savvy. And you could do tons of work with that person through a virtual care kind of, you know, Zoom visit or text-based presence. Um, You know, I I say what what our philosophy here is on this is like providing the right touch point at the right intensity for the right patient at the right time, which is thinking about this in terms of multiple axes and not just the same touch point for for every single patient. And when you really open that up, then you can serve a pretty broad swath of of population and
1: and patient answer yeah um so you guys literally have like a truck that drives around communities and like will basically go into people's houses and be like yo uh we can provide you help like is that is that an accurate description okay yeah 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 it's
2: not the airstream that we have is is like this massive airstream that a truck pulls around where like it's essentially a, a clinic on wheels that gets driven around the rural markets And we'll be like, yo, we're going to park in the Walmart parking lot on this day. Come through, get your labs drawn, get a physical, get checked out, be on your way. Um, We can also use that to do community events out of. So like maybe it's not patient care appointments, but it's like we're just going to post up here and throw a sign up that says Galileo and like healthcare screenings come through. And like these are the types of things you have to do within the communities to build trust and show that you're actually there and actually meant for the people of those communities. Um, and then we actually have a pretty similar thing in our urban markets as well. Even when it's pretty dense, we have a smaller van that we can drive around, a Springer van that has a clinic in the back of it um, that we can see people out of in, in each of their communities.
1: So that's absolutely correct. Very cool, yeah. So yeah, there's a lot of stuff going on at Galileo in terms of like your different initiatives. Um, I know you guys are like a subscription-based service So, like, could you talk a little bit as to, like, how that affects you guys as a company versus, like, insurance and, like, how doctors usually will accept insurance versus you guys are kind of just going towards, like, getting subscription payments from consumers directly. So, like, yeah, what's the difference there? Yeah, so
2: it depends on what side of the company you're referring to. My side of the company, which is the Complex Care Delivery arm, actually partners mostly directly with insurance companies. So... And then there's the digital side of the company, kind of the virtual care side of the company that has some subscription models and included in in their business model. They also partner with employers and they also partner with insurance companies as well. So and then they have the kind of more direct to consumer offering included in their side. So on my side of the company, we are partnering with Medicare and Medicaid sponsored insurance companies saying, you know, give us a population for us to go take care of in these communities. We're going to partner so that we can take financial risk on those populations so that we're aligned. So, right. You're going to only pay me if we can make money uh, or sorry, if we can save money on these patient populations, you're not paying me for what I do necessarily. You're paying me to keep your patients healthy at the end of the day. And that alignment in kind of value-based care, right. That alignment between the financial incentive and the clinical incentive is how you, I think, create a ton of value in, in, in healthcare today. Um, so that's that's how we set up most of our contracts on on the in person care delivery side of the company. Uh, and then there's kind of a variety of contracts on the other side. Um, in a similar way, you know, I I think a subscription based model lends itself to the same incentives, right? So it's you know it's we are your provider, we're your quarterback. You know, you shouldn't feel nervous about coming to us, right? We're going to give you an affordable fee per month that you can pay us so that we're here whenever you need us. And so you can lean on us. And so then I think we have kind of aligned incentives there to make sure that we're able to keep them healthy, um, but also still provide them with the the clinical care that they need.
0: I actually have a question that might be be geared towards Galileo's perspective on the issue or maybe just your perspective, uh, given your experience would say that it's pretty well acknowledged that the U.S. healthcare system has a lot of deficiencies, to put it mm-hmm. back mostly. Um, And at least from popular media, um, I guess there's two methods that people want to go about it. You either want to break down the whole system and say, you know, like, let's start from square one, or kind of do patchwork within a broken system to create the best model that's realistically available. Um, and I think those are Two very like con like different ideas, but I think they're both kind of valuable. And so at least from your perspective, do you think Galileo is part of this frontier for a new type of healthcare system or is kind of a patchwork within the, the kind of broken healthcare system that we find ourselves on? Yeah. I mean, I, I can
2: definitely speak from kind of my personal lens here as far as my experience in the healthcare system and what, what, is that, what that's led me to believe is that the system is full of like very entrenched incumbents for the most part. And they have very rigid financial models that are steeped in the status quo. And most major incumbents, right, think about large health systems, even academic medical centers, um, or very large, you know, physician groups, are so incentivized to keep things the same way, that the change from within the system is generally very incremental. And it's not that there's anything inherently wrong with incremental change. I think it's just it's about people finding the type of impact that they want to create and what gets them excited. No matter what, there's going to have to be some change from within the system and some change from, from outside the system. And both of those are going to meet, and that's how we're going to move things forward because healthcare is way too complex for either one of those alone to be able to do anything right within the system. You have large health systems, let's say, that have access to you know tens of thousands of patients every year, they have this huge, this huge scale to be able to do some really interesting work, but they're extremely risk averse and they're extremely attached to the status quo. So from a care model perspective, what are they actually doing for patients? They very, very rarely change what they are doing, right? Every single person gets the exact same clinic visit. Most people get the same type of hospitalization. There's not a lot of flexibility there. They're really steeped in what the status quo is. Outside the healthcare system, right? everyone's gonna be starting from scratch in some lens. So you're gonna start off on a smaller scale, but you're gonna be able to do things that are a lot more interesting, in my opinion, and you can experiment more, and you can think about you know, what, are, what are new types of care that, that should be delivered to these patients? What are new types of payment models that we can experiment with to show that we can align these incentives that I was talking about earlier? And I think when you're outside the healthcare system, there's two ways to create impact. One is that you grow and you scale, And then you can become kind of a a larger conglomerate organization, which we've seen some healthcare startups do. Or you can demonstrate to the system how something could be done better, right? If you can show the traditional healthcare system that you can create a care model that patients love, that providers love, that saves costs and delivers great care, right? At some point, they have no choice but to adopt those models. And so there's also this aspect of you showing what can be done using your risk tolerance and your kind of more in you having the more, more of the ingredients for being able to be more innovative um, to show the health system, what things could be like, right. For a long time. And so I use, you you can use the example of one medical, which was Tom Lee, the current CEO of Galileo's prior company Mm. for a long time people had one conception of primary care, right? Which was that like, you barely saw your doctor, you had terrible weight lines, the experience was not very good. There was nothing patient friendly about it. And one medical was, you know, invented back in, in, in SF and where he founded the first practice a while ago, was really about turning that on, on its head and thinking, you know, what if you really took a consumer focused view towards healthcare? What if you made a clinic like an enjoyable place to be? And that demonstration showed people that healthcare could be something different, and then that puts pressure on incumbents to say, wow, if we're going to keep up with these, these other people that are competing with us in these different markets, then we, we really need to step up our, our game as well. So I think through both of those routes, you can you create impact. Like I said, I think you can – both are going to be necessary, and it's really about what you enjoy and the type of change that you want to create, the type of impact, the type of work that you like doing. That tells you know you individually whether you want to work in the system or, or work without the system. Um, you know, I was just at UCSF, a large academic medical center, for the last three years, and there's a lot of amazing points of working within the system in that way. And some of them that I miss. You know, for now I'm working at a, a younger company, but I think all of our careers can take a lot of different turns. But that's, that's how I weigh kind of those, those two different things.
0: No, it's it's, it's interesting. You say that, um, I'll pass it off to Vivek. Um, but essentially what I see it, you're saying is that to move things forward the proof has to be in the pudding. Um, you know, if it works, it's hard for the existing system not to adopt it. If enough consumers say, this is, this is the product or the model we want. Um, but it takes a lot of work to make, that product, something that consumers are going to say, I have to have, and I, I don't want anything else.
2: Yeah, yeah. And there's elements of like in the system that I didn't even mention. And that for healthcare is like a lot of policy work, right? So you can think about like innovative payment models that are coming out of CMS and CMMI, um, the kind of Center for, for Medicare and Medicaid Services in, in DC. And that's also the system in a lot of ways. And so that both of us, you know, incumbents and startups interact with that system and that policy system in different ways and in different lenses. And so you can obviously see how that can be a catalyst for change on both sides as well. So there's really room for, for you know, change and work on, on all these different fronts.
1: Okay, hey, all right. Well, I just want to say thanks for coming on, Ajay. It was a huge help. Thank you for being our first guest. You will be very, very, uh, very, very praised from all of us down here at Troy Labs. Uh, So yeah, um, I guess my last question for you is, do you have any like bold predictions for the healthcare system and yeah.
2: Yeah, first I wanna put a plug to come work in healthcare for anybody who's watching this, especially like young, innovative, excited minds like you guys and, and people who are watching this. There's very few corners of the world where you get to solve extremely complex, difficult problems, make impact in people's lives in this way that is wholly good, where you can improve people's quality of life, add years to their life, um, and, and really also have like the kind of range, wide range of different career paths in front of you. Like I said, right, you could be a startup operator. You could go work at a large corporation. If you like that more executive feel, you can go work in government, local government, national government, like healthcare is popping off right now. (laughs) And, and, and I am like, could not be more excited about getting more, more talent in, in the door. Um, I'm really excited about what the next like 10 to 20 years in healthcare show in our ability to like deconstruct what folks view as healthcare in this country, right? Like, this idea of seeing your doctor in a clinic setting that's sterile and, and, and seeing them infrequently and not being able to have any real relationship or communication with, with your provider, um, I think is like going to be something of the past. And we're really going to reinvent this to be, you know, how do you develop intimate relationships? with people, with a practice, with a brand that's there to support you, that's there to meet you where you are. And, and you know, depending on regardless of how vulnerable you are in that moment that we match that level of vulnerability with that much intensity in the interaction that we bring to you, right? Like creating all of these toggles that just never existed before um, is gonna create a, a healthcare system that is much more flexible, um, much more patient centric And is ultimately going to allow us to do some some really cool things that that we've never been able to do before so i'm excited for that that healthcare system of the future i'm excited to be to have like my very small part in in trying to build that and come come build with me it's a ton of fun i promise
1: awesome man well once again thank you so much for coming on it was a blast talking to you um if you
0: want to come back on again
1: Shoot us yeah, right. so well, we're away. we're
0: airing future episodes you never want to make a guest appearance <laughs> a little snippet. Let me know. Yeah. Let me
2: know. Let me know if we're talking about healthcare again, especially if you got somebody for me to debate or something like that. Mm. I, I would love we would love to go. set up a debate.
0: That would be perfect. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Bring the heat. Bring the heat. I would love to. No, thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. Um if if folks are interested in Galileo what we're doing or just interested in talking about career paths in healthcare, Tell, send my email address out. Tell people to hit me up. I'm more than happy to have those chats uh, and help you guys think about what what some exciting careers could look like.
0: Awesome. Thank you so much, man. Yeah, of course. All right, take care. Yeah, man. Wow, what a great episode that was, right, Eric? A killer first episode. A dream episode. What a great guest we had on. I mean, I was just. Amazed by how much he knew. And it was, I found it honestly really interesting to kind of see like the intersection between entrepreneurship and medicine um, and kind of his personal journey and how that led him to Galileo. It was, it was fascinating. Yeah, no, I think it's really cool
1: how he was able to like mix both of his passions and like now he has a full on career where he is living his dream, you know? So, yeah, I think it's, it was really cool to have him on. And yeah, yeah.
0: Well, thank you guys. Um, this our first inaugural episode. We'll sure to have many more about many different industries in the exciting world of uh, entrepreneurship and startups and venture and all that good fun. Uh, but for today's episode, that's all we have. So we will see you next time. Bye guys. See you.